welcome to the nerd party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop. Punch it. Punch that shit. Let's punch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Punch It, Episode 2. My name is Charlene Schmidt, and this is... Tristan Riddell. My forever co-host on To The Journey, as well as this show. We have in store for you something kind of fun, kind of a nice primer to learn a little bit about who we are and what sort of writing we admire. And today, that is, we are going to discuss our favorite writers. That we are, we, uh, you know, it, it's something that everybody has. Like, if, you, if you're into writing recreationally or even professionally, whether you're in marketing and you just write copy for YouTube videos or whether you, you know, you're writing full volume set novels or you're a published author, whoever, whoever you are, whomever you are, you have influences and you have favorite authors and you and I are no different. Absolutely. And I would say even if you are not doing any writing in any capacity professionally, if you consume media, you know who you like and who you don't. You have favorite authors and maybe it's their style, maybe it's the type of things that they write. But yes, we've all got this. Yeah, and it's uh, we're going to try to give you some of uh, some very different types of authors. Like I, I have uh, novelists, I have comic book writers, I have uh, you know, pe- people of that nature. And so I even have, uh, have one screenwriter. And so I tried to diversify my interests to kind of give you a little peek into me because that's what these, these first couple of episodes will really be of Punch It! is you guys getting to know us, our likes and dislikes, and kind of our personalities. And uh, hopefully you enjoy them because we want you to subscribe. And uh, we thank you very much for subscribing on whatever service you have, whether it's iTunes or anything else. And also, we have tons of other shows, so please go to thenerdparty.com and check out all of those. Yes, so many shows that are debuting along with this show on the Nerd Party Network. It's a very exciting time. Okay, so I want to ask you, before we get into it, like before we get into any list, what, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? You know what I am reading right now is a book of Star Trek scripts given to me by none other than Philip Gilfus, who is on the nerd party on another new show SETI Alpha 3 former host of Earl Grey on Trek FM and a good friend of both of ours and what this is it's like a collection of scripts that take place uh kind of like around the same era as when Seven of Nine came aboard Voyager so there's Scorpion Part 2 and then it follows a lot more of like the Borg arc so there's the Raven and and, and onward and onward I've been going through these scripts and just falling in love all over again with screenwriting the Mm -hmm. format of it the look of it the feel of it the way things flow through it It, it's really rekindled that and i'll just crack it open to any old page i'm not reading it in any kind of order i'm just cracking it open to whatever story that's on i'll go back to where it begins and just start reading and i've been doing that periodically oh probably for about the last month or so now how about you what are you reading uh, well, I'm reading something a little bit different, but also sci-fi, uh, but I just wanted to comment that I, uh, I, I talked about this um, on another show a long time ago, but on this show, it's brand new. Everything's brand new. So It is. It's so fresh and new. It's got the new podcast smell. 
Star Trek Voyager scripts are what got me really into writing screenplays and teleplays and and everything of that nature. Even stage plays, just uh, even though it's a different format, I uh, yeah, like and they were seven of nine scripts, and so I would just flip through them, and it got me used to the format. And so I was like, oh, that's what I type if I want this person to say that. Oh, that's what I type when I want to establish um, the background and the setting and everything. So yeah, I uh, I very much love that stuff. But what's on my nightstand right now is actually this is. <laughs> I really wish I could say something highbrow, you know, like something political or something like a historical. But what it is, it's a it's a prequel to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> hey, there's nothing shameful about that. I know you love Planet of the Apes. Oh, I friggin' love Planet of the Apes very, very much. It's called Firestorm, and it's written by Greg Keyes. And I have to admit, I, I I'm not too far in it so so far, but. It's not very good. Like, it's, <laughs> like as I'm reading it, I haven't. I know nothing about the author. I don't know what else he's done. But as I'm reading it, I'm just like, really? Like, this is how you think people talk? <laughs> okay, that's kind of what I was going to ask you next. Was what about it just is not what you like, or what does not ring true to you? It's very much the dialogue. It's the the dialogue is. It doesn't feel like people talking or having a conversation. It's all expositional. It's all people just furthering the plot, not characterizing themselves. And as I'm reading it in my head, it sounds like a like a bad middle school play is what it sounds like. (laughs) So in other words, it's kind of awkward and definitely not natural conversation. Like I'm reading, I'm looking at, I'm looking it up right now as as we're talking. I'm looking up some of his other stuff, and it looks like he's he's kind of a go-to guy for uh, prequels and adaptations of movies like he did the elder scrolls independence day prequel interstellar novelization Hmm. uh lord of souls which is an elder scrolls novel looks like he's done some star wars stuff and some original sci-fi stuff so okay uh, so he's big on sci-fi i've got to admit i've never read anything from him yeah this is my first thing so maybe i uh, maybe i I, i'm gonna keep going because maybe it'll get better uh and maybe this is just an aberration because this guy has been writing a lot. Like he's been writing for a long time. So uh, no offense to Greg Keys, but so far, uh, not so good. Not uh, not uh, not loving it in the Riddell household. All right. Well, maybe it's not his best work. Who knows? You're going to have to keep us posted. Say if, if this book does get better or if you read another one of his works and it's 10,000 times better. I kind of feel that way about Christy Golden, who has written some Star Trek novels. She's written a lot of Star Wars novels and she's... I don't know. She's involved in another fandom that I can't think about right now. So chime in, listeners, and contact us. So go to thenerdparty.com slash contact, email us, select Punch It, and let us know, please. So some of her stuff is maybe not brilliant, but definitely enjoyable and fun to read. And other stuff that I've read is like, this is... Uh, not even on a good fanfic level and that's not to insult fanfic at all but like it's like glorified fanfic because it's been published and Mm. i know of other writers who've made absolutely nothing off of their writing and they were better than this so it kind of sounds like that yeah that's the thing is you can respect and love an author but not love everything that they've made totally yeah why not i never understood that I, i never understood that when people uh always have that kind of diehard 
ness about it. Like I, th- I see it a lot with film directors. Like uh, oh, I yeah. love Martin Scorsese. I think he's a fantastic filmmaker. He's legendary. He's one of the greats. I love so much of what he's done. But there's a lot of movies that he's made that I don't like in the least. Like I don't find them entertaining. I don't think they're well made. I think they're boring and or over the top. And I used to live in Chinatown with um, five other guys, all of them film students. <laughs> and so you can imagine how our conversations went. And <laughs> for me to say that I didn't like it, if I didn't like something that Scorsese made, they looked at me like I uh, committed some form of blasphemy. It was insane. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't like this whole kind of loyalist mentality. Yeah. I, I don't feel like if you decide that you like a uh, creative whether it's a director or writer or what have you that you have to love all of their work why not be you don't I mean you don't even have to necessarily be critical but admit like okay you win some you lose some I think everybody Mm -hmm. is like that we have good days we have bad days as far as works go some are going to be better than others and that's not to say that that person is an extraordinary filmmaker or a horrible filmmaker or what have you it just means that we have opinions. Whoa. Oh, darn. And we don't always have to agree. How weird. <laughs> Come on, guys. Come on. It's okay to disagree. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's definitely this. Um, I mean, loyalist culture has, has always existed well before the internet, but I feel like it's almost impacted and amplified by the internet. Like it's this uh, echo chamber of like you talk with the people who agree with you and you try to do that as much as you can. And mm-hmm. then when there's an outlier you try to get your buddies to back you up and then all right. of a sudden you try to dwarf that one opinion. Yeah, go get him. Yeah, it's... Uh-huh. Uh, no, it's that's awful. That's stupid. Please don't do that. Well, we talked about what is on our nightstands. Let's talk about what is permanently on our shelves. Okay, I have got the book to talk about. This was a huge influence on my teenage self. As I mentioned in the last episode, I wanted to be a writer when I was a teenager, and I had some profound influences. One of them was Star Trek with their spec script writing policy. That's sort of what got me really into writing in the first place. Follow that up with Joe Michael Straczynski and Babylon 5 and A Beginner's Guide to Script Writing. Oh, so, okay, so it was a contextual manual written by a screenwriter from Babylon 5. Yes, it was written by Straczynski, and it was all about the ins and outs of the writing process from his perspective, learning from the things that he did, the mistakes that he made, the basically the climate that you are entering when you want to become a screenwriter in Hollywood. And chances are our listening audiences or our listening audience already knows that is not easy. So <laughs> kind of the the basis of the book was for people who maybe have a screenplay that they want published and they want to find out how to make the most of their efforts to get to make that happen. This was the book to read. So there's a lot of that, but there's also a lot on the writing process and kind of how Straczynski worked. He talked a lot about Babylon 5 and that process. And as a fan of that show, that was, of course, incredibly fascinating. And that's been on my bookshelf for 20 years now. So for someone who isn't really a fan of Babylon 5, and by saying that, I feel like I've alienated a big portion of our audience. How dare you, sir? Would I find that enjoyable? Yes. I think even if you're not a Babylon 5 fan, but you are interested in writing, and especially if you are interested in getting something published or made, this is still the book for you. And even though he wrote it something like 20 years ago, I would say it's still darn relevant. 
Because as much as things have changed, they've stayed the same and the basics are still there. What he talks about in this book, especially when it comes to things about what makes a good screenplay, well, that hasn't changed. So still very relevant, very user-friendly reading. It's, it's made for the layman. Anybody can jump in there and start reading it and get it. And then it's up to you to apply it. And there you have it. Very, very good resource for anybody interested in writing, period, if you ask me. Now, what's it called again for the readers? I actually, I fudged the title earlier. It is called The Complete Book of Script Writing by Joe Michael Straczynski. And if you're trying to spell his name and don't know, it's S-T-R-A-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. <laughs> Straczynski. So, Straczynski if you do not know who he is, he, yes, he wrote just about the entirety of the Babylon 5 series, which is another sci-fi series I absolutely adore. But he's also been big in the comic book world, and he's also an accomplished screenwriter. I have to admit, I have not seen a lot of what he's produced, but he is very well known. And so chances are you have seen something that he has written, and you might not even know it. Yeah, so look him up. All right. Well, for me, I, I don't have I don't have one book for this next person. Well, actually, I do have a favorite from him, but I really wanted to talk about him, and that's Chuck Palahniuk. Okay, tell me about this person because I don't know a lick. Well, there's I could give you like some of his backstory, like where he was born, and you know things like that. I could give you stats and dates, but one thing that I want to I think one thing that really sums him up is the type of writing that he does and what is called as transgressive fiction. Okay. And it was a, a term coined in the early 60s, I think, and this is how Wikipedia describes it. Transgressive fiction is a genre of literature that focuses on characters who feel confined by the norms and expectations of society and who break free of those confines in unusual or illicit ways. Because they are rebelling against the basic norms of society, protagonists of transgressive fiction may seem mentally ill, antisocial, or nihilistic. Mmm, Okay. So right off the bat, I'm intrigued just by that genre alone. I'm just like, okay, sounds twisted, sounds cool. <laughs> Marginalized by society, that's pretty awesome. And so you'll see that in mainly his earlier works because up until a book called Lullaby, he kind of moved on more to horror set satirical novels. Okay. And uh, so if you want to find that transgressive fiction, you'll find it in Fight Club, Survivor, choke invisible monsters yeah fight club was this guy's first novel have you ever read fight club i have not read fight club i saw the movie okay the book is amazing it was his first novel and right out of the gate he's winning awards he's getting national attention and it was just so amazing so well written and the style is very unique and it, it, the style that he uses he he describes it as he he likes to write in verbs instead of adjectives. Okay. I could be down with that. It's it's very minimalistic. That's a big thing about him is that it's postmodern and minimalistic. Okay. This could potentially be something I could get into. It can get pretty screwed up sometimes and I like my literature screwed up for some reason. <laughs> and I actually, I thought we could do a story time this week by reading an excerpt from one of his, his best novels called Choke. Oh, okay. Well, I'm down with that. I want to know more. All right. Story time. I'm going to read it in a way that uh, 
is you'll understand once I get into it, once you start hearing it, because if you listen to a lot of his audiobooks, they usually have very monotone people read them because uh, you can tell that there's kind of something off about this person. Okay. And uh, also, this is um this is material, like, we're going to bleep the swearing, but this has some weird material at the beginning, so bear with us. Okay. All right, here we go. In the summer of 1642 in Plymouth, Massachusetts, a teenage boy was accused of buggering a mare, a cow, two goats, five sheep, two calves, and a turkey. This is real history on the books. In accordance with the biblical laws of Leviticus, after the boy confessed, he was forced to watch each animal being slaughtered. Then he was killed and his body heaped with the dead animals and buried in an unmarked pit. This was before there were sexaholic talk therapy meetings. This teenager, writing his fourth step, must have been a whole barnyard tell-all. I ask, any questions? The fourth graders just look at me. A girl in the second row says, what's buggering? I say, ask your teacher. Every half hour I'm supposed to teach another herd of fourth graders some shit nobody wants to learn. Like how to start a fire. How to carve an applehead doll. How to make ink out of black walnuts. As if this is going to get any of them into a good college. Besides deforming the poor chickens, these fourth graders, they all walk in here carrying some germ. It's no mystery why Denny's always wiping his nose and coughing. Head lice. Pinworms. Chlamydia. Ringworm. For serious. These field trip kids are the pint-sized horsemen of the apocalypse. Instead of useful pilgrim crap, I tell them how their playground game Ring Around the Rosy is based on the bubonic plague of 1665. The Black Death gave people hard, swollen black spots they called plague roses, or buboes, surrounded by a pale ring, hence bubonic. Infected people were locked inside their houses to die. In six months, a hundred thousand people were buried in the huge mass graves. The pocket full of posies was what people of London carried so they wouldn't smell the corpses. To build a fire, all you do is pile up some sticks in dry grass. You strike a spark with a flint. You work the bellows. Don't think for a second this fire-starting routine makes their little eyes sparkle. Nobody's impressed by a spark. Kids crouch in the front row, huddling over their little video games. Kids yawn right in your face. All of them giggle and pinch, rolling their eyes at me in my breeches and dirty shirt. Instead, I tell them how, in 1672, the Black Pig hit Naples, Italy, killing some 400,000 people. In 1711, in the Holy Roman Empire, the Black Plague killed 500,000 people. In 1781, millions died worldwide from the flu. In 1792, another plague killed 800,000 people in Egypt. In 1793, mosquitoes spread yellow fever to Philadelphia, where it killed thousands. One kid in the back whispers, This is worse than the spinning wheel! Other kids open their box lunches and look inside their sandwiches. Outside the window, Denny's been over in the stocks, this time just out of habit. The town council has announced he'll be banished right after lunch. The stocks are just where he feels most safe from himself. Nothing's locked or even closed, but he's been over with his hands and neck where they've been for months. On their way here from the weavers, one kid was poking a stick in Denny's nose, and then trying to poke the stick in his mouth. Other kids rub his shaved head for luck. Starting the fire only kills about 15 minutes. So after that, I'm supposed to show each herd of kids the big cooking pots and twig brooms and bed warmers and shit. Children always look bigger in a room with a six-foot ceiling. And a kid in the back says, They gave us fucking egg salad again! All right, end of story time. <laughs> so... Okay, that is a little messed up. See, as you can tell from this writing, it's in this method where so very little is quoted, 
So very little is he said, she said. Uh-huh. And it's very much the protagonist just droning on and on and on. And as you can see, you don't know if he's jumping back and forth from present day to Plymouth, Massachusetts, or you have no idea if he's in present day or in something else. Yeah. And it goes all around and it can be very confusing. And so with Chuck Palahniuk, you kind of just need to go with it. <laughs> Which is interesting that you say that because that's just sort of what I was doing in that moment. I couldn't completely figure that out just given the context of what you were reading and that's all the information I have. Doesn't matter. I'm still interested because it is a little twisted, but it's interesting <laughs> and I want you to continue. Yeah, this is very much like the way that I was reading it is very much the way I read it in my head. And like I said, if you've listened to an audiobook, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But this guy, he's like he's he's written a book called uh, it's like Choke is a book about a guy who fakes choking so that people will save him and then feel guilty, like feel guilty about his crappy life and then send him money. Wow. <laughs> and then you have Survivor, which is a book about a, uh, a member, an ex-member of a cult, a religious cult, who it's kind of like twisted Amish. Okay. Where all of a sudden, like they, they had a mass suicide, but there were people out in the world who survived the cult. And so there was a handful of survivors and one day they each start dying off and he's the last one. Oh, weird. And they don't know why. Ooh. They don't know why they're dying off. That's, ooh, that's scary. <laughs> and then there's another one called Invisible Monsters about a model who loses her looks and, and realizes what people actually mean to her. And so it's just, it's, it's very, very interesting. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my first pick. Okay, that's cool. I might have to check some of this out. Because for one thing, the whole field of studying cults, why they work, why people get into it, what happens when something like a mass suicide happens in the aftermath of that. Mm -hmm. This is the weird, creepy part of me. I find that incredibly fascinating. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's morbid, but it's a morbid fascination. Yes, thank you. Morbid yeah. is the word. Yeah, that and serial killers. I don't ever want to meet any of them. But it's really fascinating how somebody goes off on the wayside like that. And their patterns of abuse, okay? Like, as a psychology major, I can't help but go there. It's fascinating. So there's a sick, sad part of me. <laughs> All right, so who's next on your list? Next up on my list is a complete departure from everything else that we've been talking about. This lady's name is Maria Hornbacher. I have not heard of her. Yeah, you've probably never heard me talk about her. She is an award-winning writer. Her very first book was published in 1998, and it was an autobiography, a memoir of her life at 23 years old. And you're probably asking why. Well, she had a very interesting life. She had a very life-threatening eating disorder, managed to come back from it, and the book is all about what she went through. Basically, from childhood, uh, the circumstances of her birth even, so a little bit before then, leading up to when she admitted herself in a hospital, she weighed 52 pounds, was on the brink of death, given a week to live, and basically just said, F you, I will live, and came back. Mm. So if you have ever wanted to understand the ins and outs of an eating disorder, how incredibly maddening it is, this is an incredible book to read. However, if you yourself have gone through an eating disorder, it has the potential to trigger. So I want to give that forewarning because it's so very in-depth. She is an incredibly skilled writer. Just the way she phrases things, the descriptive way that she can paint the picture and you can see exactly what was going on at that time. Mark of a very good writer, in my opinion, and thoroughly enjoyable. She has since published a couple more books. 
Her second published book was a novel called The Center of Winter. That was a fictional account of basically kind of these deprived kids. And uh, then she followed up Wasted with 2008's Madness, which kind of delved into her experience with bipolar disorder. It sort of picks up like right around the end of Wasted and her life thereafter and her struggle of figuring out that diagnosis, navigating her way through treatment and becoming a, uh, a more well put together human being as she achieves some stability. So again, if you're interested in that, very good book to read. Incredible what she went through. And I really, uh, I, she gets a lot of criticism for possibly exaggerating her experiences. I do not think that's true. Hmm. I think she went through every little thing that has happened in these books. And uh, it's amazing that she's still alive today. And she is continuing to write. And she is also often lecturing on the university level in the field of creative writing. She's an incredibly skilled Highly intelligent person. Very cool. Yeah, see, with that kind of writing, like it really impresses me when someone can put pen to paper and tell their story in a way that's inspiring to others, even if they went some went through something harrowing. And it's like, I think I tend to go more towards fiction because I can disconnect myself from it. Like when I'm reading something morbidly depraved, like something from Chuck Balanook, I'm able to justify because I'm like, okay, this isn't real. Like, this never happened. <laughs> right. It's not true, so it's okay. Yeah, exactly. And so when I read stuff like what you're talking about, I just, like, it sticks with me and it stays with me. And I go about my next day and I'm just like, oh, man, people are going through that right now. You know, it just <laughs> it, it just wears me down. So I think that's probably why I stay away from stuff like oh, that. Oh, that's interesting. I'm the complete opposite. I love to read biographies just to learn about the strength of the human spirit, the things that people do endure strangely enough it gives me hope if other people can go through the crap that they've gone through there is hope for the rest of us see when i read biographies it's like william shatner's latest you know novel about like his movie experiences so it's nowhere near inspiring like like with what you're talking about it's a very different depth there yeah (laughs) (laughs) very much so very much so fair enough fair enough well yeah maria is incredible in that she speaks in a very matter-of-fact fashion she is not going to sugarcoat anything for you so i might say it might be best that you do not read her work if uh, you can get down very easily Well, someone's work who does not get me down, in fact, gets me very jazzed about what they do, is a screenwriter by the name of William Monaghan. Have you heard of this guy? I have heard the name. Now, what has he written? There's two things mainly that I want to talk about that he has written, and that's Kingdom of Heaven by Ridley Scott and The Departed by Martin Scorsese. Okay, okay. I've heard of these. Have not seen, read anything of it. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I'm deprived. These are two of my favorite movies of all time. And before any of you start saying like, what? Kingdom of Heaven? Oh, I hated that movie. Do not talk to me until you watch the director's cut. The director's cut has an added 45 minutes to it. It completely changes the film. Oh. And this is not one of those cuts where you're just like, oh, no, they added the scene in or it has an alternate ending. No, screw that. This is a completely different movie from what was released in theaters. And everyone should check it out because if someone put a gun to my head and said, what is your favorite movie? And I don't know why this person would have a gun or why they would insist on knowing my favorite movie. But just in case they did, I would have to say Kingdom of Heaven, director's cut. 
Well, I'm glad you have an answer just in case you happen to find yourself in that situation, which I hope you never do. Because you never know, Char. You never know. It's so true. You never know. And so he he wrote this film and he, he developed a good relationship with Ridley Scott. And what happened was is that Ridley Scott hired him to do something else and then they ended up shelving that. But he liked William Monaghan so much, he said, he's like, well, what else could we do together? What do you think? And Monaghan suggested the Crusades as a backdrop because he was quoted as saying, you've got every conceivable plot imaginable there, which is far more exotic than fiction. Mm. And the second, specifically the second Crusades is... Uh, is fantastic history and this movie it's a fictionalized account of real events it is very fictionalized so do not go into it thinking you're watching a documentary because you're not (laughs) but one of my favorite lines of his in the movie is kind of an inspirational plea to people it's it's an oath to people who are going to become a knight and uh that line is be without fear in the face of your enemies be brave and upright that god may love thee Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. That is your oath. And then they smack him and say, that's so you remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, one question. Does it work? I think so. You know, to be honest, I might have to try that sometime just to see how effective that really is. Because as you well know, I forget everything these days. I barely remember what happened yesterday. Maybe if I slap myself, I'll start remembering things. Maybe that would help. Well, no, I think it's like the other person has to slap him. So I don't think you can get away with slapping yourself. But one other thing that he wrote, and yeah, Kingdom of Heaven, I think everybody should check it out. But one other thing that he wrote is The Departed, which is... It's a remake of a Chinese movie called Infernal Affairs. And there are a lot of people out there who love Infernal Affairs so much that they're like, why? It's just a remake with a bunch of white people. Why would you do that? Why does it matter? It's clearly inferior. Well, I've seen both. And I'm sorry, but I like The Departed more. Every, I'm not bashing on the original whatsoever, but please do not let that stop you from enjoying it. If that's the reason why you haven't seen it, it is very good. William Monaghan won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for The Departed. And how he translated it from Chinese culture is he did it with Irish culture within Boston against the police. Oh, okay. And so it's like gang, it's Irish gang violence against police corruption. And it's it has uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Alec Baldwin. It, it's just it, like so many great people, such a great cast. He's talking about Jack Nicholson's character, Frank Costello, and he says, I had written the role as a post-sexual 68-year-old Irishman. Jack is post-sexual exactly never. (laughs) (laughs) So they had to to change it for for Jack Nicholson because he's such a sexual being, even though he's older. And he said, uh, what Jack did is great. Did he change the words? Not any of the good ones. So it was very much a collaboration. And I really appreciate a writer who is able to admit that. Yeah, no, that's cool. So very like check it out, check out Kingdom of Heaven director's cut and check out The Departed. You you will not regret it. It's two of my favorite movies of all time by one of my favorite screenwriters of all time. Very cool. Another favorite I have. I've just got to throw this out. I I know that we're branching out from Star Trek, but I'm going to bring it right back into Star Trek and I'm going to talk about one of my favorite Trek authors of all time and that is Kirsten Mother Effin Byer. That's right, the New York Times bestselling author, the writer of the Voyager novels since 2009, and also now a writer for Star Trek Discovery. 
She has taken one of my favorite franchises and in the novel verse transformed it into something even better than the series that I love. She's taken a lot of loose threads, connected them to something relevant, fleshed out characters that didn't get enough love on the show. I mean, she's really developed into a living, breathing, fully uh, fleshed out franchise. And I can't help but admire the heck out of her for that. She has a fantastic way of storytelling, keeping it interesting, involves all the characters. It's great. It's great. It's great. What more do you want me to say? Yeah, it's uh, I ha- I've been exposed to her very little, but I do know of your undying love for her. <laughs> I might have mentioned it once or twice. I-, I don't know. Well, someone who I am incredibly in love with, deeply even, is Frank Herbert. Okay. Now, Frank Herbert is most widely known for the epic novel Dune. Yes. Which they say that what Lord of the Rings is to fantasy, Dune is to science fiction. Hmm. I don't know if I completely agree, but continue. Whoa, whoa. Okay, okay. Oops. Tell me I hit real a nerve. quick. Yeah, you did. Oh. Why on earth do you not agree with that? Okay, well, when I saw Dune, I think I was maybe 17, and I also read the book around the same time. I did not get into Dune. I didn't like it that much. I'm sorry. I am ducking incoming objects right now. I was going to say, because if you remember anything about my love of Dune... It has defined me as a person. Yeah, I know. There's no hyperbole there. My license plate is an allusion to Dune. And every time I can find a new version of Dune, like a new, like, oh, this one was made in 1968. This one was made in the 70s. This one was made in 92. I will try to find it on eBay or in a used bookstore, buy it and add it to my shelf. My birthday present to myself last year, which was more money than I'd like to admit to you or even to myself, <laughs> was a crafted version of Dune where they only made like a hundred of them. And it's it's a piece of art is what it is. It's just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> it's- I, uh, oh, man. I ought to introduce you to the friend who at 17 introduced me to Dune because I think Dune was kind of like a, a life-changing thing for him as well. He loved Dune. He was all consummated by dune and when uh we got done watching the movie and i'm like yeah it was all right he just he didn't know what to do with me you can't judge it by the movie i mean like i really like the movie but it's very different from the book and that it is and if you want something that's a little bit closer to the book i mean it's not a perfect uh transcription but it's a little bit closer is the sci-fi channel did a mini series back in 2000 with william hurt and uh it's it's very good it's very well done Okay, maybe I'll check that out and give Dune one more try because it just, it didn't click on me. I'm going to throw out another unpopular opinion out there and say Firefly felt the same way. So maybe it's not just for me, but... Wait, are you are you talking about Firefly, the TV show? Yes, the TV show. The one that everybody loves that was canceled so prematurely. Sure, I don't know if we can podcast together anymore. I don't know if this show is going to work out. Oh, no. <laughs> Have I destroyed this friendship? Oh my, so you're bashing Dune and Firefly on me? What the hell are you trying to do to me? No, 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 wait, 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 just a second. I am not bashing it. I'm simply saying I'm not the biggest fan. Okay. It just didn't connect with me, and I'm very sorry. I that I, I realize that makes me a horrible person. No, that's fine. I, I need to practice what I preach. I need to practice what I preach, because I do that all the time where I say, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it didn't connect with me. I, I appreciate the difference. 
Yeah, yeah. Tolerance, man. Tolerance. Yeah, I'm not here to bash it. I respect the fact that you love it so much. It's just <laughs> I'm not on that level with you right there. It's not hitting a wavelength with me at all. I'm very sorry. Well, two other things that I want to talk about real quick because we're we're, we're getting close to our, our, our mark here is two comic book writers that I really like. And I'm just going to I'm just going to list them off real quick. OK, do it. Throw it out there. We got Jeff Loeb, who wrote Batman Hush and Batman the Long Halloween. And we also have Robert Kirkman, who wrote The Walking Dead and is currently a producer on the TV show The Walking Dead. And anybody who hasn't read Batman Hush or The Long Halloween, do it. It's fantastic. It's some of the best Batman ever written in the history of Batman. Jeff Loeb, L-O-E-B, Hush, The Long Halloween. And with Robert Kirkman and The Walking Dead... I just recently quit watching The Walking Dead. <laughs> was it over that one episode everybody was outraged about? I mean, I heard about it on Twitter. I don't watch the show. Yeah, it was uh, it was season seven, episode one. It was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back because for the past couple of seasons, it's been getting a little bit more ridiculous with the violence. The story's been getting kind of boring. They've been sticking the middle finger to the fans. And so this was just kind of the end where it's just like, okay, that's it. That's enough. And so we're like, the girl and I are done with it, but I'm super excited that I'm done with the show Okay. for many reasons. One of them being, I get to pick the comics back up and not worry about spoilers with the TV show because The Walking Dead is one of the most enjoyable comic book series I have ever read. Well, there you go. That's just going to be your version of it. Yeah. Fair enough. And that's, that's it for me. Okay. Well, I don't have any comic book recommendations. And in fact, since we are running out of time, we'll just stop right here. But you know what? We could probably discuss our favorite authors till the end of time. We're probably going to have to pick this up again at some point. Yeah, I think so. I think much later, much later. I mean, like uh, list shows can can be fun, but they have their time and their place. And I think this is an early point in the show where everyone gets to have a little peek into our likes and dislikes. Yes, it's a taste and taste change too. So if we discover a new author or two as time goes by, maybe we talk about it then. But for now, I think this will do. And one thing that we really want to do is hear from you guys where you've heard some of our likes and dislikes. Please give us some recommendations. Please go to thenerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the menu, email us and say, hey, you like Chuck Palahniuk? You will love this person. Hey, you like Kristen Beyer? You will absolutely love this person. You know, like, please let us know because we want to hear what you like and what you dislike and what you think of some of our tastes. So please write us. Totally. And you can also find us on facebook.com slash the nerd party. You can find us on Twitter at join the nerd party. You can find my personal Twitter account at the insane Robin. And you can find me at oh, the profanity. Some other things that we want you to do is we want you to go to the, to the nerdparty.com, Check out our other shows. We have... We have the Nerd Party coming at you every single day of the week, so please check it out there. And also, please go to our partners at nerdsandbeyond.com, which is a great news source. You can find them by going to our website. And please go to lootcrate.com slash nerdparty. It's a geek subscription box, which has some fantastic geek merchandise inside of it, where you get $40 worth of merchandise for less than $20. You go to lootcrate.com slash nerdparty. Enter in code nerdparty at checkout. You'll save even more money off of that. And this... This month's theme is magic and magicians, so check that out. Ooh, all right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed discussing our favorite authors. I've learned a lot about you, and I hope you have not completely disowned me. <laughs> I was going to say, I've learned a lot about you too, Sean. <laughs> I've learned a lot about you. <laughs> well, that's all right. I think eventually you'll have it in your heart to forgive me. And so until next week, I cannot wait until we can punch it. 
Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.